0: listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Steve, did you ever see the movie Journey to the Center of the Earth? No. What? No, I've never seen it. Okay, put it on your list. I loved it. When I was a kid... I so much wanted to be part of that expedition. I would lay awake at night fantasizing about it. How cool would it be to think there's a whole world we don't know about going on inside our planet? New species, maybe even people. You know, Steve, this could explain everything from aliens to Bigfoot. Well, the idea of the center of the earth being a place where people and animals could live is an old idea called the Hollow Earth Theory. And the guy who envisioned it was a man named John Cleves Sims Jr., He was an American Army officer and a member of a very prominent family. And after he died in Hamilton, Ohio in 1829, his son placed a huge monument over his remains, a tall limestone obelisk topped with a hollow orb and a detailed explanation of his father's theory. About a decade after his death, the city decided that they would rather use the ground where Sims and others were buried as a park. So they dug up all the bodies and moved them to a new cemetery. Everyone, but John Cleves Sims Jr. They left him right where he had been planted. The one and only grave in a place that today is known as Ledlow Park in downtown Hamilton, Ohio. It's truly one of the most curious and oddest roadside attractions in America. So, Who was John Cleves Sims Jr.? Why did he think the earth was hollow? And if you stick with us to the end of the story, you're even going to learn why many people think Sims is indirectly responsible for the legend that Santa Claus lives at the North Pole. So let's get to it. John Cleves Sims Jr. You might come to conclude he's wacky, but this guy is no dummy. He was born in New Jersey to a very prominent family. And here's all you need to know to understand why he might have felt some pressure to leave his mark on the world. You see, he was named for his uncle, John Cleve Sims. And here's his uncle's resume. He was a delegate to the Continental Congress, a colonel in the Revolutionary War, chief justice for the state of New Jersey, father-in-law of U.S. President William Henry Harrison, and he helped create, develop, and settle the Northwest Territory settling in Ohio. Now, that venerable John Cleve Sims had no sons, and so when his brother Timothy decided to name his own son after him, they tacked on the junior, just to help everyone distinguish the famous Sims from his nephew. And the younger Sims certainly started down the same path as his uncle. In 1802, at the age of 22, he joined the U.S. Army, commissioned as an ensign. That was the lowest officer rank. And he worked his way up to the rank of captain. Most folks called him Captain Sims the rest of his life. I found an interesting story about him back in 1807, when he was still a second lieutenant. Apparently, another officer named Lieutenant Marshall told him he was no gentleman. And that, oh, back then, that was enough to provoke a duel. In a letter to his brother, Sims described how they both aimed and fired. Sims shot Marshall in the hip. Sims himself was pierced in the wrist. He wrote, I wanted to know if he desired another shot. And being informed in the negative, left my second and surgeon attending to him and, with my handkerchief wrapped around my wound, went home and ate a hearty breakfast. Well, the repercussions of that little duel lasted a lifetime in two ways. One, Sims struggled the rest of his days with that disabled wrist. And two, all that bad blood between the lieutenants dissolved. And Sims and Marshall ended up becoming lifelong friends. Now, Captain Sims married Marianne Lockwood on Christmas Day in 1808. She was the young widow of an army captain, and she brought five daughters and a son to the marriage. Then she and Captain Sims had four more kids for a grand total of ten. Sims distinguished himself during the War of 1812, and after he was honorably discharged from the army, he relocated his family to St. Louis, where he supported his family as a frontier trader, working with the military and the local Indians. It was during his time in St. Louis that he announced for the first time his theory that the earth was hollow, with openings at both poles and warm, rich, habitable land within probably already teeming with flora and fauna. Now, the idea of the planet being hollow in the center was not brand new. It was actually a concept of Edmund Halley. You know, the astronomer who discovered Halley's comet? He proposed it as one possible explanation of problems he couldn't reconcile with the magnetic poles. His theory was never widely accepted, but someone who carried the idea forward a couple more centuries was none other than Cotton Mather, that Puritan cleric who started the whole Salem witchcraft trials. He had written about it in a book saying, God wouldn't create so much wasted space, so there must be something in there. It's believed Captain Sims probably had access to that book. But what he added to this early theory was the notion that the Earth just It wasn't just hollow, that there were openings at the north and south poles, that there was this large hole that ran through the entire length of the planet, and that five layers of spheres within reflected the light of the sun and created that warm, habitable center. For heaven's sakes, there might be people down there, he said. Nobody knew where Sims got this idea, He was nearly 40 years old and had never mentioned it before. I found one book on this topic that wondered if Sims was going through a midlife crisis. Ten kids? Maybe this was an outgrowth of those goals that had just never happened for him. Anyway, Sims made his declaration on April 10, 1818. The circular he had printed called it Sims' Theory of Concentric Spheres, and he wrote I pledge my life in support of this truth, and I'm ready to explore the hollow if the world will support and aid me in the undertaking. That's right. He was campaigning for people to help him lead an expedition to the North Pole so that he could not only vindicate himself, but go inside the planet to claim the land for the United States. Now, there was no internet back then. It's not like he could jump onto his Facebook account and let the whole world know he had this idea. He had to do it the hard way. He mailed this paper to governments, foreign, domestic, royal, to congressmen, to colleges, to philosophical societies, 500 in all at considerable cost to himself. We know how the world responded to this because Simpson Americus wrote about it when he penned his dad's biography in 1878. The world, in a word, was unimpressed. The theory was widely ridiculed. Sims' sanity was questioned, and it became a humorous topic in many newspapers. But Sims had as thick a skin as I have ever seen. For the first two years, Sims continued to argue his theory in newspapers and magazines, Then, after he moved his family from St. Louis to Newport, Kentucky in 1819, he decided to try and win public support in a more personal way. He hit the road. He began by lecturing in Cincinnati and then other cities and towns using a wooden globe that opened to reveal the hidden world that he spoke of. That globe, by the way, is still with us. It's in a collection at the Academy of Natural Sciences of Drexel University in Philadelphia. It was about this time that Sims decided to simplify his theory. He let go of the notion of there being five complicated concentric spheres. Now, Sims was not blessed with great speaking skills. It was said that he always appeared uncomfortable, spoke with hesitation, and had an unfortunate nasally voice. It didn't stop him. And his persistence began to pay off. He began to make converts. What his supporters lacked in number, they made up for in passion. They lionized him as the Newton of the West. And there was actually growing support for an Arctic expedition. You know, whether you thought the earth was hollow or not, who didn't want to know what was up there? Nobody had ever been there. It was a land of mystery and intrigue. I found that in 1820, Sims sat for a portrait by artist John J. Audubon, who was not only a painter, but a naturalist and bird expert for whom the National Audubon Society is named. Audubon made the portrait for Cincinnati's Western Museum. And although apparently it was never completed, Audubon wrote on the back of the sketch, John Cleves Sims, the man with the hole at the pole. Drawn, and a good likeness it is. Anyway, as Captain Sims took his tour to the Northeast, friends who wished him well tried ardently to get him to tone down his hole in the earth theory and just switch his campaign up to be one of wanting to explore the Arctic on its own merits. That was something a country could get behind. But Sims refused to let go of his theory or hide his idea. Captain Sims was still touring in 1829 when he became ill. At first, he couldn't make it back home. They took him to a friend's house in his birthplace of New Jersey, and he recuperated until he was well enough to travel. Then he headed for home. By now, he was living on a farm near Hamilton, Ohio, that had been given to him a few years earlier by his famous uncle and namesake. He almost didn't make it. He still was so weak that he was conveyed to Hamilton on a bed that was placed in a spring wagon. He died on May 29, 1849. He was only 48. Sims himself never wrote a book of his ideas, but others did. And one of his biggest champions was his eldest son, Americus. Americus was 17 when his father died, leaving him as the sole support of a very large family. But he managed to pay off his dad's substantial debts and erected that pylon over his dad's grave. He also published a collection of his father's papers. So, what's the connection of Sims? to the legend of Santa living at the North Pole. So follow me here. Sims is one of the people who made the expeditions to the Arctic a collective public dream. His fanciful theory only stirred imaginations about that frigid frontier. And that cultural movement led to several expeditions to the Arctic After Sims died in the 1840s and the 1850s, the whole world watched as the reports came back. And in 1863, inspired by all this effort to learn what existed at the top of the globe, the legend of Santa Claus was given a new chapter. Until then, Santa was St. Nicholas, a 4th century man who lived in a Roman town that's now part of Turkey. Then along came a cartoonist named Thomas Nast. He was a German immigrant working for an American magazine. He started drawing images of Santa for Harper's Weekly. And he's the one who turned Santa into this robust, jolly old elf that we've come to know. He's the one who gave Santa a new backstory. Because Santa was always associated with the cold, he certainly must live somewhere cold. So why not the North Pole? A land as full of fable and fantasy as Santa himself. And that's why Sims deserves at least some of the credit for Santa's Toyland. Eighty years after John Cleve Sims Jr. died, a man named Robert Peary stepped foot on the North Pole. It was 1909. He did not find a hole in the earth leading to a warm sunlit center with lush vegetation and roaming animals. But then again, he didn't find Santa. And we know Santa is up there somewhere. So maybe Sim's hole to the center of the earth is just as well hidden. Anyway, if you're ever near Hamilton, swing on by Ludlow Park and see the monument to the hollow earth theory. The monument has withstood 170 years of abuse from bullets to baseball bats. It was once the subject of early postcards as a bona fide tourist attraction. The globe on the monument was even stolen in 1882, but recovered in a neighboring yard and restored. In the 1940s, it was enclosed with a protective iron fence. And in 1991, the entire monument was hoisted on top of a cement column with new bronze plaques that repeat the inscriptions that were no longer legible. On the original limestone. And don't be surprised to see some strange stuff left by visitors. On the website roadsideamerica.com, a visitor who had been to the monument several times said he always finds something strange there. On his last visit, he said there was an entire box of chocolate donuts. Obviously, the hole in the treat, a nod to Sim's Hole in the World. Uh, You know what I mean, I listen to Art Bell all the time, and I've heard the hollow earth theory many times, and I had no idea that this was the background to it. Isn't this a fun story? I love this story. Yeah, it's fantastic. He was a wacky guy, but boy, he sure left a legacy. (laughs) For sure. That's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings.